milk and honey uh, as we go in um, and, Lord, just live that abundant life that you have for us. So I pray that we would be attentive tonight, and I pray that we would uh, right now listen to the things that you want to say to us as we make application and that you would speak to our hearts in a very clear way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As I mentioned to you, the book of Joshua, uh, we finished the first five books of the Old Testament. And just kind of a little survey of the Old Testament, Genesis, of course, means beginning. And as we saw in Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham was called by the Lord to bring um, his family there to the land of Canaan. And he was told that, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and your descendants are going to number the stars of heaven. And so Abraham would leave that area, which is around the area today known as Iraq. He would go over the Fertile Crescent. He would come down into the land of Canaan, which today is Israel. And there the Lord showed him all the land and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. I have sworn to you this land is going to belong to you and to your descendants. And as you go through the book of Genesis, of course, that promise, the Abrahamic uh, covenant, made with him would be confirmed through his son Isaac and then through his son Jacob. And of course, Jacob would have 12 sons, which were the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as we end the book of Genesis, we know that one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, ended up in Egypt. We won't go into all the details of that. Most of you know the story. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, uh, we uh, covered all of that. But Joseph, he was hated by his brothers, sold off into slavery in Egypt. Through a series of circumstances, he ended up in prison, unjustly accused of of a crime. And so he was there in prison. Uh, Eventually, God would exalt him as God gave him a gift, Joseph, to interpret dreams. And he would interpret a dream for Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, the dream that you had is that there's going to be seven years of good uh, crops, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. So you need to administrate somebody who's going to take care of the storing up of these crops. And so Pharaoh said that, Joseph, you're the man. You show godly wisdom that is found nowhere else in Egypt. And so Joseph at that moment, in a matter of, who knows, of an hour or two, uh, went from being in prison to the prime minister of Egypt. So Joseph, he was at an exalted place. And of course, it would be eventually, as the years of famine would come, that Jacob would send his sons over to Egypt because they had heard of a man who was given away grain and they could go buy grain. Things were looking bad. And, of course, they would go, and eventually Joseph would reveal himself to his brothers. Jacob thought his son Joseph was dead because that's what his sons told him. Hey, um, you know what? He died, and a wild animal got to him. They didn't want to tell him the truth that they had sold him off into slavery. But there would be that reconciliation, and, and they would come together, and eventually it would be Jacob and his family, 75 in totality, that would come into the land of Egypt because things were so bad. Joseph said, come here so you don't die as a result of the famine. So that's where they would go. In Genesis chapter 15, we saw that the Lord had told Abraham that your descendants are going to be in a foreign land for four generations, and that is 400 years. And of course, the children of Israel would be there for 400 years, eventually find themselves under the bondage and slavery of Egypt. That's where the book of Exodus comes in. As the Lord would call Moses, 
to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he told Moses, when you do that, which he would do, as we read the book of Exodus, that you come to the mountain of God, and there I'm going to speak to my people, I'm going to make a covenant with them, and I'm going to give them the law. And that's what we saw in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. The people came to the mountain of God out there in the wilderness, and the mountain shook, and God spoke, and there was thunders and lightnings, and the people trembled at that awesome sight, and they said, Moses, you go up on the mountain. We can't bear this. This is too much for us. And so Moses would go. We also know from the book of Hebrews that Moses was terrified. But he would go on the mountain. He would receive the law of God. We see that God would confirm that covenant with his people. It would be shortly after that that they would break the law. They would be dancing around a golden calf. But we see that as Exodus tells us then also that Moses was to construct a tabernacle and that was going to be the center of their worship as they were out there in the wilderness. When we go into the book of Leviticus, we see that the duties were given to the priests. Here's how you're to perform the sacrifices. And so we looked at Leviticus, all of that. And then the book of Numbers tells us how it was the children of Israel that rebelled out there in the wilderness. And so we saw some important lessons about what happens when we live a life, when we murmur and complain, and we live in unbelief, we end up with that wilderness experience in our spiritual life. And so as there's a map up there, what I'm going to do is we go through the book of Joshua. I'm going to throw a few maps and a few pictures up to kind of help you see where we've been. As you see Egypt there listed above the word Egypt is that green area. That was called Sukkoth. And in the book of Exodus, they would leave the children of Israel in orderly ranks. They would come out to the wilderness. Now, a lot of you in your Bibles, you have a map in the back of your Bible, and perhaps you've looked at it, and you can see the arrows that talks about their wilderness wanderings there in the wilderness. And as you see on this map here, there is the Red Sea that comes up, and then it splits uh, like a Y. And in that landmass where you have uh, Mount Sinai there, that is called the Sinai Peninsula. And in your maps in the back of the Bible, and just about every map that I look at, it has Mount Sinai there located in the Sinai Peninsula. I don't think that's where Mount Sinai was, personally. Um, and there's some reasons for that. Uh, one of the things you can do is you can pay a lot of money to go to Mount Sinai. They'll take you out in the desert in this traditional site, and they'll show you a mountain where there's a mosque, and they'll say, that's Mount Sinai. But as they've done excavations around the traditional site of Mount Sinai, they have found no evidence that a large group of people were there 3,500 years ago. They haven't found a sandal. They haven't found anything to conclude that the children of Israel were in that area and camped in that area. But rather, what I think it was is as you look over to the right, you see Mount Sinai in a question mark. I believe that very likely that Mount Sinai was over in that area, and I'll tell you why. First of all, as we went through those books of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, didn't we see the phrase over and over again that I have brought you out of Egypt, I have brought you out of Egypt, I have brought you out of Egypt. And I think that's an important phrase for us to remember because that Sinai Peninsula there where it has Mount Sinai, that was all part of Egypt. It's always been considered Egypt. It is today, as you look at modern maps, that is all part of Egypt. And when the Lord says, I'm going to bring you out of, and I have brought you out of Egypt, I believe that's what he did. They left Egypt in orderly ranks. And I think that's important for us to remember. So they would bring 
uh, the children of Israel, Moses, out of Egypt. He didn't bring them through Egypt and stop and renew the covenant. He brought them out of Egypt. And I remember that as well, just a little side note, in that promise that God made to the, or Jesus, uh, God, same thing, uh, to the church of Philadelphia there in, Phil, in Revelation chapter 3. You remember that he said to the church and to the Christians that I'm going to take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. And that's why I believe that the church that we're going to be raptured before the tribulation period, he didn't say I'm going to bring you through the tribulation. He said I'm going to bring you out of and away from the hour of tribulation. So important for us to remember that. So in between there, Mount Sinai and Mount Sinai with a question mark, I believe that's where they crossed the Red Sea. And it's interesting that a a Swedish um, group uh, of scientists doing some excavations and some research there in Red Sea, uh, very fascinating what they found in the early 90s. They were dropping some sonars down in the Red Sea there, seeing if there was any evidence of, uh, of the chariots that were drowned in the Red Sea. And it's interesting, if you look at a contour map of the Red Sea, that if you step out into the Red Sea in that area, that it's very, very steep. It would be almost like the children of Israel when crossing the Red Sea trying to go down the Grand Canyon. That's how steep it is. But it's interesting, as they were mapping it, they found right in between, again, where Mount Sinai is and the Mount Sinai question mark, right in that area where the Red Sea is, they found a natural bridge. And where the children of Israel, if the waters receded, could just walk right on out, and there's a bridge that's right there. And they dropped some sonar down in there and took some pictures, and they found what they believe, and it's very clear as you look at those pictures, of coral that had grown over something that made a pattern of a chariot wheel. So that's probably where the children of Israel crossed in that area. Also, some from that research team would talk to the Bedouins over in what is today Saudi Arabia. And they would say that we know where uh, the mountain of Moses is. And it had been passed through all those generations. And so they found a mountain, and the government of Saudi Arabia, what they did is they fenced it off. And so no one can get in there. You can look in there, and you can see, and they show you a picture of what looks like a large altar there at the base of that mountain where perhaps sacrifices were done or an altar where something was worshipped. There's carved on there little uh, you know, images of, of a bull. And so they believe that perhaps, hmm, something significant happened here. The mountain is black, like it was on fire. There's little piles of rocks all around, big piles of rock around the base of the mountain where, of course, God said, put a boundary around the base. No one goes past that base. And so there's that, that area where they believe that that's perhaps where Mount Sinai was. It was later on that Bob Cornick, a researcher from Colorado Springs, went into that area and actually went in under the cover of night and brought back some footage. Some of you have seen that video in search of the real Mount Sinai, and they went up on the mountain, and they found significant things, not only that altar where they believe perhaps where they worshiped the golden uh, calf. Um, not only did they find the boundaries around the mountain, but they also found places where sacrifices was done. They looked up on the mountain. They showed video where some significant water came out and filled the valley. Water. They found even a rock that had a big split in it. 
So something significant happened. Plus, the other thing is this. When Paul was writing to the Galatian church, he would talk about how Mount Sinai, when he was talking about Mount Sinai, was in Arabia. That's not in the Sinai Peninsula. That's on the other side. Also, we know um, some other things that lead that uh, Mount Sinai was probably in that area. You remember when Moses, for example, when he left Egypt and he went to what? The land of Midian. And in your, maybe some of your maps that you find, every case where Mount Sinai question mark is, that's where Midian is. So I believe Mount Sinai was actually in that area. So they would come, they would cross the Red Sea. God made that covenant with them. There in the book of Exodus, that's where the tabernacle was constructed. And then they were told in the book of Numbers to go up to Kadesh Berea. That's on the boundaries of the promised land. That red boundary there is the land of Israel. And so that's where they would go. And, of course, some significant things happened there at Kadesh Berea. And that was in Numbers chapter 13. You remember they sent the spies in for 40 days. And the spies came back and they said, The land is good. It's a valley of Eskal, which means clusters, these big grapes that they brought back, carried by two individuals on a pole. I think it was Joshua and Caleb that were carrying that fruit. And ten of the spies said, but we can't go into the promised land because there's giants in the land and they're going to squash us. And so the people murmured and complained. And that's where the Lord said, listen, you're going to be in this wilderness now for 40 years. And that generation, because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, because of their complaining and their murmuring, would end up in the wilderness for a totality of 40 years. And we see in the book of Numbers also that it would be Moses there at Kadesh Berea that ended up misrepresenting the Lord and striking the rock. So the Lord said, you're not going to go into the promised land. So it would be eventually that after 40 years, they would then go up to that area, see where Mount Nebo is. That's where they are presently as we end the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, chronologically, only lasted about 30 days as Moses is addressing the children of Israel, giving them the law, saying this is the law of God, this is the covenant that we're going to renew with him, and this is the guidelines given to you when you go into the promised land. So we end it with the book of Deuteronomy, Moses going up on Mount Nebo there, and we know that Moses would die. And so that's where we end it. So giving you a map, kind of where they've been in, in their journeys and stuff, um, they were, uh, again, in that area. Right across from Mount Nebo is going to be Jericho, the first place that we're going to read about as they will do battle uh, there against Jericho. And then, of course, you see the proximity to Jerusalem. And so when we get there, we're going to show you some more slides of Jericho and, and what it was like. Uh, around Jericho, and I didn't turn this on, and that's why it's not working. So just a couple more quick maps, and then we'll get into our text. Now, there's Mount Nebo. That's where Moses would go up on Mount Nebo, and he would die. The Achaia Grove or the plains of Moab, that's where presently, as we open up the book of Joshua, that's where the children of Israel are camped right now. There is the Dead Sea that's right there close by. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on the face of the earth. And then flowing into the Dead Sea is the Jordan River. So they're going to cross the Jordan River. And then the first stop is going to be Jericho right across the river there. Uh, The Jordan River today is a lot smaller than it was 3,500 years ago. And the Dead Sea actually is very, very uh, small compared to what it was 3,500 years ago. So there's Mount Nebo. There's the plains of Moab. That's where they're camped. Jericho's going to be their next stop. The Dead Sea probably went up to 
right to the base of where the ancient city of Jericho was because, as I mentioned, it was a lot bigger. Um, There's a lot less water flowing into the Dead Sea. You see, as the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, there's no outlet. So all the water evaporates, and that's why it's very hard to get a clear picture of the Dead Sea in the Jordan Valley there because it's usually all that evaporation and it's very hazy. So with all the agricultural use and use for water there, uh, there's a lot less water in the Jordan River, but it wasn't that way at this time. And so as we read the book of Joshua, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them, the children of Israel. And so now we start a new section again, that survey of the Old Testament, which is called the historical books. It begins now with uh, the book of Joshua. The first five books is called the Pentateuch. It is called the books of Moses, the books of the law. The Jews make reference to it as the Torah. We begin now the historical books of the Old Testament, beginning with Joshua, goes all the way uh, to uh, the book of Esther. Uh, We see that their history is given to us in the Old Testament before the captivities and after the Babylonian captivity as well. Then what you have is the books of poetry or wisdom. That includes Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And then you have the last section of the Old Testament, which begins with Isaiah. You have the books of the prophets. You have the major prophets, which are Isaiah and Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then the minor prophets that begins with Hosea to Malachi. And so here we see their history is going to be explained to us as we go through this books. Now they're going to come into the promised land. The wilderness wandering is over. Moses is dead. He's been gathered to his people. And now Moses um, is no longer the leader. Joshua, you're going to lead the people in the land which I am giving them um, to you, the children of Israel. And notice here that the Lord says, I'm giving it to them. The Lord had been emphasizing that I am giving you this land. It's a done deal. This is a promise that I'm going to keep that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is what you've been waiting for. You are in bondage 400 years. Now you come out of Egypt, and because of that generation past, you are out in the wilderness for 40 years. But now you're going to go into the promised land. And as we go through this book, what we're going to see in the book of Joshua, what makes it such a wonderful book, is that it's going to be the book of Joshua that's going to show us how it is that we can go into the promised land in our spiritual life. You see, there's a lot of Bible teachers that say that the land of Canaan, uh, the promised land is a picture of heaven. I don't believe that that's correct. Some of the old hymns make reference to that. And I'll tell you why I don't believe that's correct. Because they're going to go into the promised land and they're going to have to do battle. They're going to have to face giants. They're going to face the enemy, innumerable amount of enemies. They're going to have challenges. They're even going to suffer some defeat. They're going to suffer it at the hands of the little village Ai. We will get to that in a couple weeks because there was sin in the camp. So that's not a picture of heaven to me. When I go to heaven, I don't want to have to face the giants and the enemy and have walls that are going to be facing me and go through defeats. That's all part of this life, isn't it? And in this life, every single one of us, don't we? We have walls that we face that go up to the sky. It seems like, Lord, how is this wall going to be knocked down? 
There are giants that we face. There's difficulties. There's the enemy that comes against us. There's all kinds of challenges that you and I face. And what the book of Joshua is going to, to teach us is how it is that you and I as a Christian can experience the blessings and the victories and that abundant life that the Lord has for you and for me. As we walk by faith, as we're led, led by the God, as we're filled by the Spirit. And I pray that you and I, that as we go through this book, it would be greatly encouraging to you, to me, to know that the Lord desires for us to experience that abundant life, that life of blessing, that life of, of, of real uh, prosperity and success in the best sense of the word that we're going to see how Joshua is going to be told how he can experience that. It's because you are living in the promises of the Lord and you're walking by faith and you're looking to him. And so it's a wonderful book that we're going to see living in this grace, that newness of life and experiencing the abundant life. So Joshua, you're going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua, Moses' assistant. Now we talked about last week, Moses, all the ministry that he did, all the miracles that he performed at the end of his life. In the last chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. And now in Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant, is that all he gets? He doesn't get an exalted title. He's called a servant. But you know what? That's what he saw himself as. And as I see the great individuals that were used of the Lord that walked by faith, they considered themselves the servants of the Lord. And that's what Paul would refer to himself in the New Testament. He'd say oftentimes as he was giving his greetings to those churches, I, Paul the Apostle, bondservant of Jesus Christ. And more than anything, I just want to simply be a servant of the Lord. Lord, I want to serve you and wherever you have me and whatever opportunities you give to me. And Joshua was Moses' assistant for 40 years. We saw Joshua. He was, wasn't mentioned a whole lot. The focus was on Moses leading the children of Israel and Aaron as he was the high priest in his ministry to the priests and to the Levites. But Joshua wasn't mentioned that much. Joshua was one that he would be there at the base of the mountain when Moses was up experiencing the glory of God in, in, the, in the presence of the Lord, receiving the law. And there was Moses for 40 days. Where was Joshua? He was partway down the mountain, and he was waiting for Moses. Where was Moses when he was at the tabernacle? There was Joshua outside waiting for Moses, just being faithful, being there. When Moses was up on the hill with his hands up, it was Joshua that was down below doing the battles. You see, Joshua learned to be a servant as well as he was Moses' assistant. And maybe you're here tonight, and you think, you know what, I'm not doing what... Perhaps the Lord wants me or I feel like uh, I'm not moving in a way that I should be or could be in ministry. Not a whole lot is happening. Don't despise the day of small things. Because Joshua learned to be a servant for 40 years. He was faithful to serving Moses. He wasn't there, I believe, on the side of that mountain when Moses was up above complaining and murmuring. Why does Moses get to go up there? How come I'm stuck here? It's boring here. I'm going to go back to camp. He didn't do that. He was faithful to stay where he was supposed to be. When he was at the tabernacle, he stayed faithful. When he was doing battle, he didn't complain that Moses was up on the hill. But Joshua learned to be that servant. And it would pay off. And I'll tell you this, if you wanted to be one that is used of the Lord, you've got to learn to be a servant of the Lord. 
and learn to be faithful in what God has given to you. Don't despise the day of small things. Jesus said that if you're faithful in little things, I'll give you greater things to do. And I especially encourage young people that want to move in ministry. You just plant where you are, learn to be a servant, serve faithfully and continually, and the Lord will take care of you. So here is Moses, and here's Joshua now going to lead them. In verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. So all this is going to be yours. And everywhere where you step, everywhere where you step, I have given it to you. It's a done deal. This was God's word given to them. And we're going to see how it is that they go in and and conquer the land. And what we're going to see is, is that they're going to move by faith in conquering land because the word has been given to them. Every place the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you. I have given it to you. It's a done deal. And how you and I can experience that abundant life that the Lord has for us, the blessings, to possess what it is that he has for you and for me is to hear his word and his promises and hide it in our hearts and believe in that and move out in faith. Our promised land is to receive the promises that God has for us, and it is available for you and for me. And so he desires for us to move and possess what it is that he has for us. As we believe in him and trust in him and surrender our lives completely to him and to move out in faith in our lives, knowing some very important things as we continue on here. He says in verse 5, No man will be able to stand between, before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. In verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here is the word given to you. You be one that where you go in and tread your foot, you're going to possess what I have for you. And second of all, you be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage. Three times here that we have seen. Joshua has already been told by the Lord before the book of Joshua when he was commissioned to be the new leader there at the tabernacle with Moses that the Lord came to Joshua and said, Joshua, you're now going to be the leader. Moses is going to be gathered with his people. You be strong and of good courage. So actually this is the fourth time that Joshua is told to be strong and of good courage. And why could Joshua be strong and of good courage? Because first of all, that the Lord said to him there in in verse 5 that I will be with you. Joshua, you can be strong, good courage in the children of Israel because I am with you, the promise of his presence. And as we remember that the Lord says to you and to me, I am with you. And as we understand that the Lord is with us in our lives, that we too can be strong and of good courage, can't we? 
Certainly we can. You know, one of the things that we're going to see that Paul's going to write to the Corinthian church as we will look at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, that he's given his greeting to them and he's talking to this church, this church that exploded when Paul went and ministered in Corinth. I mean, it was a church that, that was young. It was a church that was growing. It was a church that was dynamic. But it was a church that had a lot of problems. And so Paul is writing this letter to them. And he's going to address those problems that were there at the church of Corinth. But he's writing to them and he's talking to them about how they've received the grace of the Lord and that there is nothing that you lack in all utterance and knowledge in the spiritual gifts. I mean, that they were ones that they were growing. They were learning. They were trying to be students. They were ones that didn't lack in any of the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit were flowing through that church. Now, we're going to see that Paul's going to bring correction to them concerning those things. And then he would go on that God has given you this grace, and he's going to be faithful to see you through to where that day of the Lord comes, that you're going to be presented before him blameless. And then he's going to say, you have been called in the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that they needed to know. And it's something that you and I need to know, just as Joshua needed to know that 3,500 years ago. The Lord is with you. And you have been called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And I think what happens when we become Christians, and over time we can lose that sense that the Lord is among us. And when we lose that sense that the Lord is with me every single day, that He dwells in my heart, that I was born for His good pleasures and to bring glory and honor to Him and to understand that I can have fellowship with Him every single day, when we begin to lose that sense, that's when... Our Christian life begins to be where it's dry and hard. It begins to be one that we don't feel close to the Lord. But when we remember that every single day I have opportunity to fellowship with the Lord because He is with me and He desires that, that's when Christianity becomes very vivid and real and exciting. And we can be strong and of good courage because the Lord is with me and He loves me. Joshua, you be strong and of good courage because I'm with you. And then second of all, I promise I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I don't know about you, but I need to be told that over and over again. That Lord, I know that you're with me, but you're not going to abandon me. That, Lord, you are going to stay with me. That the Lord doesn't say, Ah, you know what, Jeff? I'm a little busy today. I think you're on your own. In the battles and the challenges that all of us face, not only knowing that, Lord, you're with me, but, Lord, you're not going to leave me. And we can go through life where we have people that leave us or abandon us or walk away from us don't have any interest in us. But I want you to know this, that the Lord, His love and His grace is so amazing and incredible. He says, I am with you and I'm not going to leave you. And then thirdly, we can be strong and of good courage because He says in verse 8, 
that the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make uh, your way prosperous and you will have good success. How many books are out there in the Christian circles and Christian bookstores? How to have a successful Christian life. How to be prosperous in, in you know, life. And, and of course, you have the whole prosperity gospel now that comes along and says this is how you can be prosperous literally and name it and claim it and nab it and grab it and all this other stuff. You want to be prosperous and successful? Listen. In the best sense of the word, you meditate on the word of God day and night. And you don't depart from it and go to the right or go to the left. You you apply the word of God in your life and you walk in godly wisdom. And as you meditate on the word of God, and I am still thoroughly convinced that the great, great need in the church today is men and women that humble themselves before the Lord to say, I'm going to learn your word, Lord, and I'm going to apply it in my life, surrender my life completely to you, and I'm not going to be cheated by the world's philosophy, as we saw in Colossians chapter 2, traditions of men, empty deceit, that which is not according to Christ, but your word is true, Lord, and I believe your word, and I meditate on it day and night. You remember, remember when Moses in Exodus chapter 32, after the children of Israel danced nakedly around the golden calf and committed all kinds of fornication, and then the Lord said, Moses, stand back. I'm going to destroy the children of Israel. I'll make a great nation out of you. And Moses interceded, said, Lord, don't. Stop. Please. Remember your promise you gave to them. And it was Moses that was up on the mountain and he was interceding and saying, Lord, please forgive them of their sin. And if not, blot my name out of the book of life. And the Lord said, okay, you know what, Moses, I'm not going to destroy them. They're going to be responsible for their own sin. What I want you to do, Moses, is now I want you to lead them to the place I'm going to show you. Moms and dads, any of us who desire to minister to others and lead others. And for our own lives individually, how are you going to know the place to go if the Lord isn't showing it to you? And how are you going to be able to move out in faith if you don't know God's word, the promises that are given to you? Do you understand what I'm saying? So Joshua, you meditate on the word day and night. So you know what my word says. You know my promises given to you, so you don't forget it. And it's important for you and I because there's a lot of people and even Christians that are confused and they're wondering because they don't know the promises of God. They don't know the word of God and it isn't tucked away in their hearts. And Joshua didn't say, you know what, Lord, that sounds good, but I'm leading three million people now. We got giants we got to face. We got difficult war ahead of us. I don't know how I'm going to deal with Jericho, with those giant walls. I don't have time to do that. He didn't have that mindset. Joshua, you want to be successful. You want to be prosperous. This is how you meditate on the Word of God day and night. And I think Joshua learned from the man Moses, who was one that was a man of the Word and a man of prayer. So Joshua, that's how you can be strong and good courage. And in verse 10, that Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. Within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. That must have been music to their ears. In three days, you're going to go in. You're going to go across the land. Finally, finally, after 40 years, you're going to go into the promised land. How exciting that must have been for them. Deuteronomy chapter 1 says, From Mount Sinai up to the promised land where I showed you on that map, uh, Kadesh Barnea, 
where they would then move into the promised land, should have taken them 11 days. Took them 40 years. Because of their disobedience, because of their hardness of heart, because of their murmuring and their complaining. And as we talked about on Sunday morning, Paul says to you and to I that you're to redeem the time. And I pray that you and I would not waste a lot of time in our lives going after things that's going to keep us in the wilderness. That's my prayer for you young people. That you would say, you know what? I'm going to be one that I'm going to trust the Lord and what His Word says to me because if you don't and you go after other things, you're going to be doing laps around Mount Sinai. And one of the things that as I talk with people, and I think all of us can say that there have been times in our lives where we didn't redeem the time, but when somebody who comes and gets saved and, and they're rejoicing and stuff, but sometimes they will come to me and, and they're brokenhearted because I wasted so much time in rebellion against the Lord. I tell them, put it under the blood of Jesus and move forward. But do you know what I'm saying? Don't waste time. You guys, you have the Lord. And you're learning the Word of God. So go in and possess what the Lord has for you and experience that abundant life. That good life and live life the way it was meant to be lived. Because you know God's word and then you're walking in obedience to it. So you guys are going to go in and verse 12, the Reubenites and Gadites and half of the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke saying, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God has given you rest and has given you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren, armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God has given them. Then you shall t- return to the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses to the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. And so he's reminding you guys that are going to be here on the east side, the, the tribe of Gad and Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh, your little ones are going to stay here. They're going to say goodbye to them. But your men are going to come and going to help us conquer and the promised land the land of Canaan, and help us in the battles that we're in. So he's reminding them of that agreement that they made with Moses. And in verse 16, as we finish tonight, so they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heed at Moses in all things, we will heed you. Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and does not heed your words, in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. The Lord comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, you be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage. And now the people come to Joshua and the people say, Joshua, we will listen to you. We'll heed your voice. We'll follow after you like we did Moses. But there is one thing that we ask of you, that you be strong and of good courage. That you be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage because you have the promise of His presence. You have the promise of His faithfulness. And you have His promises and His word given to you. But I want to tell you this, that every single one of us, that we have people in our lives that come to us 
and say that I want you to be strong and good courage. As parents, you have children, you have people in your lives, your family, dads, your family needs you to be strong and of good courage. And this is not a day in which we say, you know what, I'm not going to heed the voice of the Lord. But my prayer is, is that you would take what we learn here in Joshua chapter 1. They said, Joshua, you know what, you're leading us now. We need you to be strong and good courage. And dads, all of us, we need to be strong and good courage to our children, don't we? And for our children and for our wives, for those of us who desire to, to be effective in ministry, that you be strong and have good courage to the people at work and you guys that go to school. You be strong and have good courage. And those that go to school with you, how they desire to see those who are truly strong and have good courage they have godly wisdom. You have something that you can give to them. Me as a minister, as I pastor this church, you guys need me to be strong and of good courage. You need me to be strong and of good courage. And there are those times that all of us face when everybody's stepping back that the Lord is going to say, in all the confusion, and all the difficulty, and people wandering, and it's overwhelming, and they step back, that He's going to say to you, I want you to step forward. Because right now you have people, they need to see the strength of the Lord. And you see, it isn't this, look how tough I am, and I eat glass, and I spit nails. It's, Lord, I need you to work that strength and courage in my life so people can see it being worked out in my life. And I know that as a minister that there are times where, Lord, I need you to work that strength and courage in my life so I can be strong with courage to that parent that I am standing with in the triage and emergency room that's saying goodbye to their teenager because they don't know if she's going to make it through surgery because of the car wreck she was in. And as the call comes in and I'm asked, we need you down at the hospital. One of the ladies at the sheriff's office, her daughter was in a bad car accident. So they called me and said, can you meet us down there? And the daughter was driving and hit the edge of the road and flipped the car and had a friend, her best friend. They're two months away from graduation. And it was a serious accident. And both sets of parents are there. The one was thrown seriously hurt. She had to go through surgery. They said, parents, you need to go in because we don't know if she's going to make it through surgery. And I went in with them. Meanwhile, the other set of parents are in the waiting room there trying to figure out and find out what's the situation with their daughter. 
they go to a church in another part of the county and called one of the pastors in, and he came down. And after I had been with the parents when their daughter was going to go through surgery, she ended up making it through surgery. But I walked into the waiting room, and there's one of the pastors, and he's, he's upset. He's just, oh, I can't believe this. And he's just, you know, he's crying. He said, I can't believe this happened, and, and why, and all of this. And very discreetly, I said, can I talk to you just for a minute, to the pastor? And I brought him out in the hallway, and I wasn't trying to be mean. But I said, listen. You need to quit your sniveling. You need to wipe your nose. You need to quit your bawling. And you need to get in there and be strong and of good courage because they need you right now. In those times where I stand in the Platte River and recover with the father, the body of a four-year-old boy that had drowned, When I'm with somebody in a hospital that the doctors have told them you got about a month to live because of the cancer, the leukemia. When I knock on the door of a house and I have to tell a parent that, you know what? Your child just died in a car accident. When there are those times in life that are difficult and hard There are people, all of us, that need us, whoever it might be linked to you in your life, to be strong and of good courage because you don't know what tomorrow holds and you don't know when you might be standing in the river with somebody that needs words of hope and words of encouragement and words of truth. Because you see, at that time, they have nothing else. But we can give them the Lord. And I know we go through struggles and we go through weaknesses and failings. But I plead with you that tonight we would leave this place saying, Lord, there are people, my children, that need me to be strong and have good courage. And if there are things that you're doing in your life that you're compromising, you're involved in sin, stop. And you walk with the Lord. And you live in His promises. And you be strong with good courage. Because he's with you. And the same work that he did through Joshua and the children of Israel in working in a very powerful and real way, he desires to do that in your life that you may see him working through you in that strength. <laughs> you know, the last exhortation that we're going to see in the book of Corinthians As Paul says to that church, he says, you guys watch. Stand fast in the faith. You be brave. You be strong. And all that you do, you do with love. This is a day where we need to be watching. Don't grow sleepy or lethargic.
You plant yourself in the faith and in the promises of God. You be brave. King James says, quit you like men, is what it says. You know what that means, men? It says, act like men. The great need in the church today is men that will stand up and say, as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're not going to get all wrapped up in the junk and carnality and the compromise of the world. We're going to serve the Lord. And you be strong. You be strong and good courage because there are people in your life that need you to be strong and good courage. And I'm so thankful that tonight that we can come to the communion table because our Lord was strong and good courage who went to the cross because we needed that. Without that, we'd have no hope. And tonight as we come to the communion table now, we can come in thanks and in gratitude and with amazement for what Jesus Christ did for us and given us hope. So, Father, we thank you.